Luke chapter 13. We classify this as a Perean parable, the sixth one in chronological order. So you know what chronological means. That's our word time, chronos for time. So it's the sixth Perean parable. Perea had to do with everything outside of Galilee and out in the deserts and the regions beyond. Uh, we, we know that already, but uh, we want to mention some things several times, and you'll remember them that way. Luke was a Gentile, a physician. He was not one of the twelve, but did travel with Paul on missionary journeys. Uh, but uh, great, great parable. The main truth of Luke chapter 13, verses 6 to 9 is fruitlessness brings God's judgment. I want to be fruitful, not fruitless. I was just sitting there thinking, Lord, just help us some Sunday to have some sinners come in here. And you'll know if, if I know there's sinners here, you'll say, he's changed his message because <laughs> I'll be preaching salvation for much of my message. So let's compel them to come in to God's house. We are supposed to go into the highways and hedges and compel sinners to come to the house of God. And, uh, and we, while they're not part of our family, when they get saved, they become part of our family. Amen? So let's be fruitful and witness. I uh, was inviting a guy yesterday, sitting in Bass Pro Shops parking lot with a guy, and invited him to come to church. And uh, he just kind of blew me off, you know. And that's okay. Uh, I had some visitors last week. Came by my office. I got invited them. I'm thankful they're here. But... We just need to be about our Father's business. That's why we are here. We're not here for any other reason. The other things we do are a means to an end. I remember when I played ball, my coach, Christian coach, always said, basketball is a means to an end. It's a means to an end. And he said, really, this is not that important. But how we act as Christian men is important. So we sometimes get our wires crossed. I know we have done that. Let's look at Luke 13, 6 to 9. When you find that stand, we'll read these verses together. We always say that parables are identified by the words like and as, but they're also identified by the word parable. And this is real simple. And he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. I don't know if you like figs. They're pretty good. I, I like the little fig newtons. And, you know, they, when God confronted Adam and Eve, fig leaves they used to, to cover themselves, you know. So uh, they're big, wide leaves. But anyway, he had a fig tree, and he planted in his vineyard, and he came, sought fruit thereon, and found none. Then he said unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why encumbereth it the ground? We'll explain that word in a minute. And he answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Let's pray. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in this world. I don't know what you have for each and every person here, but you do, God, and you're the all-wise, all-knowing God that knows everything, and you knew I'd preach this long before I did. And you have the people here that need to hear it, and more need to hear it but aren't here, but the ones that are here help them to be blessed by the word tonight and to apply it to their lives. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. He had been speaking to the multitude, according to chapter 12, verse 54. And then he continues in the first five verses talking to the multitude. And these uh, judgmental Jews, according to our notes, asked several questions in, in our uh, several chapters. They asked about the Galileans that, you know, that Pilate had killed. They asked about uh, the uh, others that had been killed by a tower, and they were asking things about judgment. And I have in here John 9 in here because this makes us think of John 9. When they came to Jesus and said, was this man uh, blind, born blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? And Jesus said, neither, but that I should be glorified. Now, it's interesting in Scripture, we have, you know, a lot of things happen to us. And sometimes we like to judge others that are going through difficulty and think, well, God's spanking them or chasing in them. And then when we're going through it, it's the devil, you know, and that's not really fair. Um, I, I've told you my gift is teaching, but I also have the gift of prophecy. And sometimes I can be a little judgmental. I got to kind of hold on and think, hey, I, I'm not handling this right. Let me not judge. And, you know, the Bible says judge not to be not judged. And we, we can quickly judge others and not apply the same standard to ourselves. The standard's always the Word of God, and the standard's always a living Word, the Lord Jesus as well, the living Logos, right? And so let's compare ourselves to Him, we always fall short. But they were asking these questions and, uh, about judgment, and, and were these people being judged? And Jesus said, no, but if you don't repent of your sins, <laughs> you're gonna be judged, you're gonna perish. And, and that's interesting because they ask the same questions. And basically he keeps saying God's long suffering, but ultimately judgment is coming. It's amazing. I meet people all the time. I told someone today, I wish the Lord would come. I told someone yesterday, I wish the Lord would come. I just wish the Lord rapture the church. I'm looking for his coming. And that's a good thing. But the flip side of that, a lot of times I'm looking for his coming because I'm sick and tired of the junk that's going on in the world. And I'm not very compassionate. And I have to say, wait a minute, I want the Lord to come, but I still have to be busy bearing fruit. I still have to plant the seed. I still have to work hard. Um, I was in the office of a businessman yesterday, and we were talking about the Lord, and we were talking about how we have failed in the Great Commission, and he had a perspective. And I said, well, let me share my perspective. The Bible tells us to go and to make disciples of all men. I said, do you know if every Christian made one disciple in their life, the Great Commission would be finished? If we all made one disciple, now it wouldn't be finished tomorrow, but if every one of us had one person we poured our life into and made a solid Christian out of them by, of course, God's grace and God's word, and that person did the same thing, the multiplication would saturate this world and people would be saved all over and we'd be done. At least the gospel would be presented to everyone and the Great Commission would be over. But see, we failed for, for, for centuries and God's still given us opportunity. And so we need to be about our Father's business. So he told this story to answer all these questions about, you know, others and why God is judging others. And of course, God is saying to the Jews, you're the problem. Then the lesson he's teaching. Uh, let's look at Isaiah chapter 5. One scholar says Isaiah 5 is in view here. Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5 is just a great portion of Scripture. 
Um, I preached that at some point in my ministry, don't remember when, but it's the parable of a vineyard, an Old Testament parable, and we know there are several Old Testament parables. Remember the one where Nathan shared a parable with David about, you know, how someone took this sheep and it was a family pet, and it was a parable because the true story was David took another man's wife, remember? Here's another parable. Now I will sing to my beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And it talks about stones that are gathered and thrown out, probably the Canaanites, and it's the choicest vine, which is the tribe of Judah. And talks about it, they built a tower, which is probably a reference to the law, a lot of typology here. And the, and the wild grapes in the last part of verse 2, probably sinful people. And this is a parable that's really talking about Israel. And in verse 5, he said, I'll, do to, I'll take care of my vineyard. I'm gonna, I, I've done what I need to do, but it's all going to be broken down and trodden down. And scholars all agree, this parable is about Israel. And we know that Israel was trodden down in 722 by the Assyrians. The two tribes that survived, the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, were trodden down in 586 by the Babylonians. But one scholar says that um, the vineyard here, again, is Israel. That God, you know, reached out to Israel. And, and there's different ideas here. Walter Wilson, several people say the three years it says that he came and uh, he uh, went for fruit and he'd get fruit. That, you know, that's the three years of Jesus' ministry. And this is Jesus here. And he's frustrated because this tree hasn't borne any fruit. And of course, we know in, in Scripture that where uh, the vineyard is a type of Israel, we also know that the, the, the fig tree is a type of Jerusalem, according to several passages. And the Palestinians had great vineyards. Remember, we talked Sunday about Nabus' vineyard. He had vineyards and he produced fruit. And that's pleasing uh, to the human body, but we need spiritual fruit as well. And then in verse 7, we notice it says here, this man had a fig tree, and he, he says, you know, tear this thing down. I've come and tear it down, cut it down. Why encumbereth it, encumbereth the ground? It's, it's known by uh, people in, in the, this line of work. What is it called? Uh, um, Starts with an H. I've just went brain dead. Anyway, it's known that the fig tree will take a lot from the soil, take a lot of nutrients, absorb them. And the point here is it's just wasting space. It's, it's, it's using up good soil. And why would you just let it live? Cut the thing down. And, you know, and, and, and the owner wants it cut down, but the man who takes care of it says, let me just dig around it one more time, put a bunch of dung, which is cow manure, and pack that in there, and maybe the fertilizer will get it to where it's producing fruit. And of course, we know that it doesn't produce fruit. Um, actually, fig trees, according to Leviticus, you know, it took about several years before it started producing fruit, and it had been six years at this point, rather than just three. Look at Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 23. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse... 1923, I said 33, 19, 
1923. The notes are right, I'm wrong. Um, and when you come into the land and shall have planted all manner of trees for food, then you shall count the fruit tree thereof as uncircumcised three years. Shall it be... I went off, I think, here. Three years it shall be uncircumcised unto you, it shall not be eaten of. And it took several years for a tree to produce fruit. So it's not that God's impatient. It's the fact that during the fruit-bearing years of this, what's the practical application? Well, Solomon says, remember, then he goes to describe a, bro a broken down body. You know, when the, your teeth fall out, you can't hear, your hair turns white, uh, your legs are weak, your heart and lungs and central nervous system are all about to get, you know, you're just about dead. And you can't do what you could do. I learned that this week. I run all the time. I run up the stairs. I have broken four or five toes in the last several years running up my stairs. I, my mother always ran upstairs, and I got that habit. I never can walk up a flight of stairs. I bound up three or four steps up to the top. It's ridiculous, but that's what I've always done. And the other day, I, I always run up to get the mail. I just run down the porch, and I was running out the door, and the dog chain was across there, and it was stuck, and I fell and broke another toe. I got a second toe broken in the last month or so. I can't do what I used to do, and neither can you. But you know, when we're young, we, we have another excuse. I'm really not mature enough, really don't understand scripture enough. I really, you know, I'm really busy working and doing all this stuff. So there's always a reason not to be fruitful. But excuses don't hold up with God. Because God puts us, plants us in this world as seed. And he puts us in a place where we're going to have people around us who confide in us and trust us. And those are opportunities for us to minister. It's not an accident when somebody asks you a Bible question or, or says something to you about church people. That's not an accident. It's an open door. And when someone calls you for prayer or advice, and we sometimes miss those opportunities. And that's the point here. Jesus, in his three-plus years of ministry, wasn't accepted as the king. God was angry with Israel, and he would judge Israel. In fact, Jesus talked quite a bit about the upcoming judgment in A.D. 70. You know, uh, Israel, the city was just destroyed, burnt, crushed by Titus. So Israel has suffered over and over again. You would think they would learn. <laughs> you know, think of all the major defeats of Israel over the history. You know, in 1948, there was just a few a few scattered Jews in Israel. And then they came from 100 and something nations. But you think of all the nations that have defeated them. We've, we've named some of them tonight, Assyria and Babylon and the Greeks and the Medes and the Persians and the Romans. But think of the time of the judges when all the, all, all the Canaanites, the Philistines and the Midianites and all them were, were running all over them. And they would repent and then they'd, you know, rejoice and get right with God and tear down altars and then for about 40 years later, they'd be back in sin. Another country had taken over, and they're crying out to God for another deliverer. And God gets kind of tired of that, but we're known for that. And so, really, you can study a lot of this at home, but we need to stop being 
fruitless Christians. Now, here in verse 8, we find Jesus here, the, the dresser here. Let me go back to our passage um, in verse 8. And he said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year, and also I'll dig about it. Some say this is a type as well of the Lord interceding for us. Here's someone interceding to the master on behalf of the, uh, of the plant. And, and of course, there's other uh, fig stories you know of in scripture, that there's different ideas on this. One idea is that the dresser is a representation of the Lord and that he's our uh, mediator. First John two verse one tells us we do have a mediator. We have an advocate. That means lawyer. And uh, what a great lawyer we have. You see, God is a judge, we're the criminal, Jesus Christ is the advocate. And he goes to God on our behalf and says he's under the blood. Hebrews chapter 7, 25 and 9, 24 both talk about the Lord interceding for us. Let's look at those verses, the Lord interceding for us. Hebrews chapter 7, and mark these in your Bible. 1 John 2, 1 is great, we have an advocate. In fact, the Holy Spirit, there's one Greek word to describe the Holy Spirit as somewhat of a legal advisor. You know, the Holy Spirit. Isn't that something? He's like a legal advisor. He gives us advice. The Lord is our advocate, our lawyer. And one day the Lord will become the judge. The Bible said all judgment will become the responsibility of Jesus. God will give Jesus all judgment. So think about that. What does a really honest lawyer of integrity, he usually ends up being a judge? Not all the time. <laughs> They're not all do we cheat them and how, but uh, there are some lawyers with integrity, and I'm thankful for them. They're usually on the justice side rather than the uh, civil lawyers. But 725, wherefore is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So he intercedes for lost people to be saved. He intercedes for us as an advocate. And then 925 or 924 says here, for Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures, or that's a type of the true, but unto heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So we know that there's verses that say God is a mediator for us. And there's verses that say he's a mediator for sinners. For there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. God, Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man that we could say no one, nothing, nobody can come to God but by me. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So he's our mediator. And so uh, he, he, he does mediate to try and spare us, but sometimes God's patience runs out and he wants us to be fruit bearing. Look at Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And verse um, 10. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship. The Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And look at um, Matthew 7. 
I mean, I can't find the verse in Matthew. I, you know what? I'm in Matthew 4. No wonder it didn't work. Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. Not, I'm sorry about that. I read that and I'm thinking, I got to get out of here. That's the wrong verse. 310. And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Then 7, 719. Like I said, the notes are right. I'm always wrong. 719. Every tree that bringeth not forth fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. That is a theme throughout Scripture. We're supposed to be fruit-bearing trees. John 15, I'm the vine, ye are the branches. Goes on to talk about God burning the leaves and the, and the dead vines. We don't lose our salvation. That's not the teaching there. But we lose a lot of fruit. Uh, excuse me, we lose a lot of reward because our fruit is either n not there or, or our motives are wrong. And so we need to be about our Father's business. Now the application to our lives here, the last section, how do we apply this to our lives? Well, we can talk about Israel um, and, and the judgment on Israel, but we want to take this across time and culture and uh, apply it to our lives as individuals. We know what the text teaches reference to Israel. And so we, we understand the historical meaning, but let's make an application. So let's look at these verses in our section of practical application. Chapter 5, verse 16 of Matthew. And this is a, a well-known verse um, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. And I think Bryce referred to one of these verses on Sunday. You know, I was preparing a message on John chapter 1. And a week later, Bryce stood up and said, I'm going to be going through John. And I thought, I've been working on this message for like six weeks. So I was going to give him a hard time about stealing my thunder. We don't preach alike, so that's okay. I was at a Bible conference one time, and three guys got up and spoke on the same, same portion of Scripture that week. And it was, people laughed because they'd all prepared. And once you're prepared, you know, they didn't really, they probably should have asked them what they're going to preach, but it was kind of a joke. And finally, the last guy was kind of humorous. He stood up and said, well, we've heard this passage preached twice. I'm going to straighten it out tonight. Of course, that was the big joke of the week. Uh, but here, Matthew 5, 16, we know this quote. It says uh, here in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. It's important for people to see our good works. This does not mean to put on a show. It does not mean to do good things for the wrong motive. But we need to let our light shine, and that automatically will allow people to see our good works by just living right. And then Matthew 7, 15 to 20. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, 15 to 20. Several practical verses here. Um, who bears bad fruit? Well, we, we learn that in verses 15 through 20. It tells us that the ones who bear bad fruit are false prophets and corrupt people. It says, beware of the false prophets would come in sheep's clothing. In, in, really, they're ravening wolves. You know them by their fruit. You know, the bad fruit. You know, you, you, you don't have to be around someone long to know what type of person they are. I was talking to a guy yesterday, I was telling you in Bass Pro Shop. He wanted to meet me there and talk, and we were sitting in my car. And he's telling me all he's accomplishing in his life. And it took me about with discernment of being a Christian for 50-some years. It took me about 30 seconds to realize this guy's not a believer. He says he is. But 
by his fruit, it was very obvious that he doesn't know anything about God. And, and so you have discernment, and God will let you know, you know, if this person's, uh, you know, right with God. Your spirit will bear witness with theirs. Years ago, I was on a plane sitting next to a guy, and neither of us said much, a word or two here and a word or two there. And simultaneously, we looked at each other, and I said to him, you're a Christian, aren't you? And he said to me, you're a Christian, aren't you? Simultaneously. We knew that our spirit bore witness. It was, it was an amazing thing. Doesn't happen all the time. But if you're walking with the Lord and you're in his word, you will have moments like that where you'll say, this person's a Christian. I can just tell that you just something about that person. Now, if you've known someone a long time, you have an idea. I've known two people here for 40 years. You know who they are? Anybody want to guess? Besides the two people I've known 40 years? Guess. Well, nobody's going to guess. Lloyd and Jim. Jim heard me preach 40 years ago at Bethel Memorial down in, and I know Lloyd from, I was a roommate with one of his guys. But, so they know maybe a little bit more about me, my family and stuff like that. But uh, I'm not talking about people you've known a long time. I'm saying that the Holy Spirit can give you discretion to where you're with someone just for a few moments and you know this person has issues, you know, and and as Christians, we have to live our lives that way to recognize I can turn on the news and within 30 seconds, I can sense the spirit of Antichrist by something they said. Turn on Discovery Channel, spirit of Antichrist. Love to watch Discovery and National Geographic. I love that stuff. You know, I said in a sermon already, six months ago or so. National Geographic is talking about the tortoise and they tell you it's 10 billion years old and then Discovery talks about the tortoise and says it's 100 million years old. And I'm thinking, you know, you guys got to get your numbers together. But you, the spirit of Antichrist is all over the television. You know, all over the television. I meet people sometimes who aren't saved. I right away just they say something like, yeah, we've been together 20 years. I ask, is this your wife? Well, we've been together 20 years. What does that tell me? Okay, they don't understand the importance of marriage. God in Romans 13 tells us that our government, the government people are ministers. Our policemen are ministers of God. Even if they're not saved, they're ministers. Our courthouses and the laws of the land say you need a marriage certificate. Some countries, they have an automatic thing. If you're together a certain amount of years, you're married. We don't have that here. So we have to go by our law. And if our law says you need a piece of paper, you need a piece of paper. And the Bible says to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. So if, if you're not married, I know all of you are or widows or widowers, but if you're not married and you're living with someone, you're fornicating. Got a neighbor down the street. She sings in her Baptist church choir. She lives with her boyfriend. And I'm thinking, I don't understand why this stuff goes on in church. Because I think a pastor should say, excuse me. <laughs> you know, call him in. Don't embarrass him one on one. So I'm so thankful you're here. But, you know, I don't really want you up there singing the specials or singing in the choir. And unless you either get married or move out. That's tough duty, and that's hard to be a pastor sometimes. Did you know that's really tough? I told 
our deacons, if you ever find me in sin, you treat me just like anyone else and confront me and rebuke me. And if I'm in sin, uh, re, you know, sin of uh, 1 Corinthians 5 or 6, you have to actually bring me before the church and ask the church to vote me out. That's hard stuff. And if they ever have to do that, you support them, not me. I have to repent, right? And if it's anyone here, we have to, we have to do things right. See, God expects us to stand for what's right, and, and it's very difficult to do that. But we have to do that. And I got off the subject, but bad fruit, then it says, can an evil tr tree or evil people bear good fruit and wholesome fruit? No. Ultimately, no. It may appear as good, but it's not. You know, sometimes I have Christians say to me, well, you know, um, there's, I found a little good in this, a little good in that, and I... I, I go to this place and I do this, but I don't do that part. You had a guy tell me, oh, no, I go to Hook, Hooters all the time and I get, uh, I get good wings there. And I said to him, but do you think that that's really a good place for a Christian to go? Oh, I like their wings. And I, and I want to say to him, you know, I don't dig through a garbage can to find a little piece of a sandwich. You know, I just won't get near the garbage can. And I just, and I don't know if any of you go to Hooters. If you do, I don't know it, so I'm not picking on you. But that's no place for a Christian to go and spend an evening. You know, and, and I had a guy inside of Daisy, and he said, I, I do a lot of witnessing in the bar. I only have a drink or two, and I do a lot of witnessing. I said, why can't you witness to them when they're sober? I, I don't understand these concepts. Love not the world, neither the things in the world. So we have to be fruit-bearing Christian, but we have to have good fruit, healthy fruit. And uh, from Galatians 5.25, I have here list the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. We can go to Galatians 5. We have a few moments. Galatians chapter 5. Notice it's ninefold. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, uh, self-control. And I missed one of them, but they're here in 5.25. And I have here to write these down. And, and mark Galatians uh, 5, 16. Highlight that in your Bible. Because this is something you've got to just really get in your mind here. Galatians 5, 16. Look what it says. Then I, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're walking in the Spirit, you're not going to give into the flesh. If you're walking in the flesh, I t talk about me because I want you to understand I battle the same things. <laughs> I've had too much of candy lately. Not our candy. But I love that soft-centered, hard Christmas candy with the chewy stuff inside. I got a bag yesterday, and in two days I ate the whole thing. Now I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible. What is wrong with me? It just takes... A moment for us to go from spirit to the flesh. We, we talk about we need the Lord every moment of every day, of every hour, every hour of every day. You can just slip up. David, a man after God's own heart, was standing on his rooftop and checking out. Ooh, baby, check her out. That's what he was doing. And a man that was referred to as God, after God's own heart ruined his life, ruined the life of a family. And for two years, he was out of fellowship with God. 
When he got right, when he got right, thank God he wrote Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, and that's awesome preaching, awesome stuff. But think of just for a few moments, looking too much idle time, looking at this woman and what happened. And I know I'm doing a lot of preaching tonight, but it must be necessary. Verse 25, we will drop down. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Does the Spirit live in you? Yes. So then we need to live right. That's what that's saying. Look at verse, the, the, the fruit, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And you can't say, well, I have, I have this one or that one, but I don't have them all. You either have them all or you don't have any because... It's fruit singular. Notice that. Mark that in your Bible. Not, there's not nine fruits. It's the ninefold fruit. See, when you're led by the Spirit, you have all these. You're long-suffering, and you're meek, and you have temperance. That's self-control, which I lost on my way to General Dollar, you know. And the candy's not the problem. The whole bag is, you know. And I know that, and I just, if I eat chocolate, hey, I've got such a problem with chocolate. If I take a bite of chocolate ice cream, I'm going to eat two bowls, I'm telling you. I can't stop. I can't stop. And I say, I'm sorry, Lord. And then the next day I'm walking by the fridge, you know, looking, oh, it's still there. Of course it's still there. I know it's there. It's calling my name. It's, it's not wrong to eat ice cream. But I have to eat it in moderation. Years ago, I had a preacher friend that constantly preached on smoking. And then one night he said that he ate a whole bucket of fried chicken. Another time he said, I eat Oreo cookies by the bag. And I wanted to say to him, that's kind of hypocritical <laughs> to constantly preach about tobacco and then to eat like that. That's why I tell you my faults. Confess your faults one another so you understand. I have to preach against everything in the Bible, and sometimes it's hard because I'm thinking, self-control? And I went to a buffet yesterday, and I hadn't been to a buffet in a while. Been able to resist, but I love the buffet, don't you? I mean, you know, it, it, it's just, for me, to go in there and go out without overeating is, is like a mini miracle in my life. The last few times I've done good, but, but it's a battle. And I use that because that's something that you can identify with and laugh a little bit at me. But let me tell you something. I battle this whole nature every day. And when I'm in the spirit, 22 through 23, that's what's happening. When I'm not, the lust of the flesh, the things above that, the works of the flesh are these. Verse 19, adultery, fornication. I'm not doing that, but... <laughs> Uncleanliness, lastivity, idolatry, witchcraft, variance. Variance is, is, is just fighting. Emulations, jealousy, seditions, it's complaining. Now there, that one's one I struggle with. I can complain. So you're doing one or the other. There's no in-between. That's the irony of it all. There's no in-between. You're either walking in the flesh and fulfilling the lust of the flesh, or you're in the spirit. And you know the difference in your own life because you had that little battle inside. Where your old, old Dan says to new Dan, you don't need to buy that candy. And new Dan says, or the new Dan says, you don't need to buy the candy. Old Dan says, but I like that candy and it only comes out at Christmas. 
after Christmas is not going to be around, but there's always something else. There's a red licorice and there's a Milky Way, you know? And I use that because you can identify with that, but find the category in your life that you don't really want to testify about and, and, and just put these principles to work and realize how, how often we fail. Um, there are lots of fruits in the Bible, a lot of fruit, I should say. There's a, you know, there's talk, Bible talks about the fruit of soul winning, the fruit of the spirit. There's also the fruit of our lips. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 5. And just mark this, we're almost done, but <clears throat> Hebrews 13, 15, I, the notes are always right. I don't have my reading glasses up here, but you can see it in the notes. I'm wrong again. 13, 15, love this verse. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, praising him and thanking him. Have an attitude of gratitude and make the choice to rejoice. First Thessalonians 5, right? When was the last time you praised the Lord? Do you thank the Lord? We should thank him. You know, that whole idea of blessing the food, it's not really scriptural, is it? I mean, we say bless food. We really mean to say thank God for it. You know, food's, food's already blessed. God blessed us by giving us food, but we thank God for the food. Do you thank God for your food? Do you thank God for your dwelling place, for your automobile, for the clothes on your back? Boy, 100 years ago, people didn't have what we have. I have so much junk. I'm a thrifter, though, you know. I got this, this little jacket here I got at the, uh, the uh, uh, Salvation Army store, my favorite store, closed down. This shirt I got there. I'm a thrifter, but I have so many clothes. And I, keep, I kept thrifting and thrifting, and I didn't need all that stuff. But we just never get enough because we're Americans and we're spoiled. We need to be content. Contentment is described as godliness. Are you content or do you have to have that new thing? Then uh, Acts 20, 21 talks about, we're not going to go there, but talks about testifying to the Jews and also to the Gentiles. And what are, we, what are we saying to the Jews and the Gentiles? We're testifying of repentance and faith. So our mouths are supposed to be bearing fruit in the era of soul winning, aren't they? We're supposed to be talking about repentance and faith. And Jesus said in Mark 2, 17, I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. You know, it's interesting, his, his interaction with the Jews, and I got off the subject tonight. I was going to say, forgive me, but I don't need to be forgiven. Just bear with me, okay? And we, 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 we sometimes really don't appreciate the fullness of Scripture. And Jesus quite often would say things to the Jews and just, I could just imagine seeing their faces. You know, he, he would say things like, you know, you have whited sepulchers, but you're black on the inside. Stuff like that. He called them a generation of vipers. These are really religious people. I mean, the Pharisees were separatists. You couldn't find them doing anything wrong. I mean, they gave their tithes. They went to the temple. They read scripture out loud. They dressed perfectly. They talked perfectly. But Jesus knew their heart. And they were damned to hell. Nicodemus, 
I, I, I call that passage Nick at night or Saint Nick. Some believe he was a brother to Joseph, but you know, there's ideas that point that out. But Nicodemus, you know, he was a very religious man. Very religious man. But he, he was under conviction and he came to the Lord and said, I, I, I know there's something about you. And the Lord says, don't be shocked at what I have to say to you, Nicodemus. Marvel not that I say unto you, you have to be born again. Can you imagine that? I read a gospel track, a preacher for 17 years was preaching one Sunday and realized he was lost. He got saved after 17 years of being a pastor under his own preaching. I like that, I like that but it's shocking to think about that. We, we are, are, are going to be shocked when we get to heaven. Who's going to be there and who's not? We may not see some of our church members there. Now, I hope that's not the case here. But Scripture teaches there's leaven amongst the good. There's wolves amongst the sheep. There's false prophets. You know, it, 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 it's, it's a fact. The Bible talks about it. There are people who are great play actors. You know what that word hypocrite means? Play actor. One time Jesus confronted the Pharisees. He was right in front of a theater, which he probably helped build because Sepphoris was right near his hometown. And he called them hypocrites. You see, the, this, that's what they were. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were the greatest hypocrites. They really had everybody believing they were great, godly men, and they weren't. They were dark on the inside. Let's share the gospel with people. And when the Holy Spirit says, keep witnessing or share with that person, do it. Because you might be surprised who's saved and who's lost. Let's pray. God bless us. Thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the patience of the people. And we just ask you to help us to be doers and not hearers. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.